Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. Give us a little Christmas present. Come on now. We love you. Holiday season. Do it. We decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an honor shout out and two bonus episodes every single month, uh, which we have been doing for, holy shit, almost two years. Yeah. There's almost 50 bonus episodes waiting for you guys. So if you guys haven't made the jump, there are a lot of bonus episodes. What is this, 99? This is episode 99. Wow. That's nuts. So almost half of the episodes are bonus episodes and they're waiting for you over at patreon.com slash podcast. So you haven't made the jump. Definitely consider doing that. Uh, Speaking of which, we do have uh, one patron to thank this week, just the one, but we appreciate him and his name is Kevin. Thanks Kevin. It's just Kevin. I appreciate you. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, Kevin. And thanks for getting all those bonus episodes. We hope you're enjoying them. Yes. Enjoy. Uh, The other plug for the week as always is iTunes. If you guys are listening on iTunes, Make sure to give us a good old uh, rating and review over there, preferably yes, a positive one. <laughs> yeah, that'd be uh, great. Helps us climb the ranks so, uh, over there. Otherwise, I don't know if it'll help us out too But much. you know what? I like reading them anyway, so <laughs> yeah. leave whatever review you can. Helps us find new listeners uh, no matter what. So thanks uh, in advance for doing that. Hopefully you already have. But if yes. not, come on. Come on, guys. Come on. It's the holiday season. Yeah. Let's get a little charitable around here. Yeah, spread We're, that kindness. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. That's spirit. <laughs> uh, that's it for the plugs. Welcome back to another episode here. Uh, as always, I am your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me is my co-host. Jamie Miller. Welcome back. Welcome back to another episode. I think two weeks ago would have been the last time you guys, free listeners, would have heard from us, and we would have had special guest Jordane Searles on to oh, talk yeah. the Slumber Party Massacre films the slasher franchise written and directed entirely by women one from 1982 one from 1987 the first one a bit of a halloween clone the second one a little bit of a nightmare on elm street but with a uniquely uh (laughs) musical rockabilly vibe i was so (laughs) pleasantly surprised with that second one man i I had no idea that it was gonna be that it's it's unbelievable if you want to see a slasher film with a real deal musical sequence in it that's, <laughs> yep. that, I think that might be the only one. <laughs> so so far, it. I think it's the only one that I've seen. So, uh, And if you haven't heard that episode, again, that was two weeks ago. That was uh, uh, on any podcast listener of choice. Yep. Uh, but last week, we had our bonus episode for all the Patreon listeners out there. And we did Scorsese. Martin Scorsese. Uh, the Irishman is the talk of the town. All kinds of awards, nominations, all kinds of people being able to watch it since it's immediately accessible Seems on like Netflix. Everybody's loving it. Everyone should be watching it if you're not. And yes. to celebrate, 
its release, we talked about uh, Goodfellas and Casino, the uh, other two movies in sort of his vaguely thematically uh, uh, connected yeah. <laughs> mobster movie trilogy. And also uh, it was partially in part because Jamie and I got to see Goodfellas on a 35 millimeter print. So we Which were like, if, if, so if we're going to watch it anyway, we might as well talk about it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so if you want to hear us talk about those two films and... If you want to hear us talk about The Irishman, maybe uh, coming up, might be coming up here. Maybe. Uh, We do like to do some bonus transmissions for our Patreon listeners, too. So if you want to hear that episode, patreon.com slash podcast. You can find that's last week's episode. And uh, yeah, I very much can't wait to talk about The Irishman. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And get to rewatch it. Yeah. I've only seen it once. I've seen it three times, which probably. That's like should that's give hours. away my opinion <laughs> on the movie. <laughs> that's crazy, man. It's awesome. I, I yeah, I can't wait to rewatch it. Yeah. So this is going to be the Martin Scorsese show. Uh, clearly heading towards the end of the year here. <laughs> yeah. But but speaking of which, this is the holiday season. Yes. We are here. I think when this we episode some wholesome Christmas <laughs> movies for you this year. <laughs> exactly. We are going guestless this week, uh, as we did last year, because we kind of like to choose our own Christmas double feature. I yeah. mean, maybe one day we'll find a guest who can pick our Christmas <laughs> yeah, double man. feature for Be us. Worthy. <laughs> worthy is such an episode. But the Christmas episode is a very important episode on the show. Last year we did uh, the Canadian iconic. Hell yeah. Uh, underground horror film known as Black Christmas. Which we're going to be playing at the Highland. I'm so yes. excited. We're going to get to see that in the theater. Somehow we're playing that at the theater that I help program uh, for everyone, so I'm stoked to do that. But yeah. we also paired it last year with Silent Night, Deadly Night. We kind of did yes. Holiday Slashers was the double feature. So good. I couldn't believe how good it was. Yep. It was kind of like a similar thing of like Slumber Party Massacre where I was just kind of expecting it to be so bad it's good that kind of thing and i mean there's elements of it but mostly i really enjoy that movie it's great yeah silent night deadly night uh weirdly psychological and fractured filmmaking film (laughs) like weirdly i don't know why that that movie i can't believe i was taking that movie seriously and i just i I, I like any movie where they kill santa and his blood squirts all over a bunch of children that's just (laughs) that's just cinema to me Yeah, yeah absolutely so that was last year's episode, and for anyone who's been listening for a long time, they might actually even remember that on that episode, I brought up my yeah. two personal favorite Christmas films, um, and so that's what we're going to do this year. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is a Josh Lewis double feature. <laughs> these doozies. are These are my personal favorite films to watch. I watch them pretty much every December. Yep. Um, just because I don't know why you I don't get the whole family, some hot chocolate, <laughs> everyone around the fireplace. Yeah. They got the nice sweaters on, bring the children in. Of course. <laughs> and we are going to talk about, uh, psychosexual existentialism around the holidays. Yes. Just his loneliness and, and horniness. Yes. This, this might seem like an odd pairing, but hear me out. Yes. Both of these films, despite being on polar opposite ends of the stylistic spectrum, both of them take Christmas as a setting, mostly as a means of wrestling with the holiday glitz, the glowing lights, the bright colors, um, and how they are used as kind of like a mask to cover up what we might really feel around that time, what we might really desire. And the big one, 
the big commercial and moneyed interests that control us around that time of year to yeah. take on the commercialism of the holiday at the same time. Both movies are also insanely horny and existential, as we've mentioned. And uh, to me, that uh, weirdly enough, that is a more truthful depiction of the holidays than what you'll find in the basic Christmas canon. So, yeah. Uh, Though it might sound like we're going to be talking out of our ass, we will get into the specifics of both of these films, and you will see that this is not really a conspiratorial reading of the film. It's really in the text of both of these films. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's right there in front of you. And the first film is obviously Tim Burton's expensive studio sequel to uh, his original Batman with uh, Jack Nicholson and Michael Keaton playing Batman and the Joker. And that film is Batman Returns, which is a <laughs> somehow a gothic melodrama about traumatized psychopaths with a costume fetish trying <laughs> to kill and fuck each other. Yeah. That's the other spot one, on analysis. And yep. the other one <laughs> is Stanley Kubrick's final film from 1999, Eyes Wide Shut, which weirdly enough actually has the same premise almost. <laughs> yeah, it's like exactly the same. Costume Just, fetish, yeah. murder, uh, Just take out sexual the perversion. <laughs> um, uh, definitely when you get into uh, the old money that this stuff comes from, when it comes from Christopher Walken's businessman character yeah. and uh, the things that Tom Cruise sees. So though a bit more narr- <laughs> uh, like narratively ambiguous in the and you know maybe even qualitatively more artful and independently made we'll say yeah uh even though i think it still costs like 50 million it had or something. to yeah that thing like it's just the the attention to detail especially with the the famous sequence well and i was just and i was gonna say we'll get into it too because even the stuff that doesn't look like it should be expensive was super expensive oh, really? for a reason that we're gonna get into when we get into okay. eyes wide shut and oh, i yeah. think it's part of my thesis as to why the movie really works yeah so it'll cool. be interesting to talk about that as well very awesome. Um, and weirdly enough, I've, I, I realized the reason that I brought these films up uh, when talking about Black Christmas was because of the uh, the glow of the Christmas lighting on people's faces. Yeah. That was yeah. why I brought it up. And especially with Black Christmas, it's pretty much exclusively used That's how for it's horror lit. elements. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, is... and we'll, we'll talk about Eyes Wide Shut too, but that was, yeah. that was how they lit Eyes Wide Shut. So right. I was like, there you go. Yeah. There's the connection. But anyway... That's the double feature for you guys today. We are getting really weird and horny <laughs> and violent That's right. for your Christmas listening pleasure. I'm sure a lot of you are having family drives down <laughs> wherever you're going. Just put this on the speakers. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> it's going to be a great talk. It's going to be very family friendly. <laughs> yeah. It's time to teach these kids about old money, you know? And uh, with that being said, we are actually going to talk about the children, the technical children's film first. <laughs> yeah, I guess. That's Tim the Burton. first point I'm going to bring up. <laughs> yeah, I definitely had a VHS that I wore out of this. And yeah. I, am, I am shocked I can't <laughs> that I was allowed it. to own I'm this I'm calling movie. my mom after. <laughs> so we are going to talk about Tim Burton's Batman Returns from 1992. He plots a foul reign of destruction. My dear penguins, thanks to Batman, the time has come to punish all of All right, so we are talking Batman Returns, the 1992 American 
superhero film directed by Tim Burton. Mm -hmm. Obviously based on the DC Comics character of Batman and the sequel to the 1989 film Batman. And the thing worth noting probably up front about this is that technically the conception for this film was a total cash grab. Oh, okay. And that might be shocking because it doesn't feel like one. Not at all. No. And I'll tell you exactly the I mean, the it circum- makes sense because I know Batman was such a big thing when it, it came out. It was a really big so movie. So it, it makes sense to me that they're going to be like, well, we got to get a sequel out here and all and that. that. And they wanted it fast. That was the oh, thing, too, okay. because uh, the original uh, what, Batman was actually one of the first films to get kind of like a really like geek-centric marketing campaign, like kind of oh, like okay. what, you, what all marketing is now. Right. The original Batman was but one of the first films to really go all out. You're risky like a, at that point too, right? Because they yes. wouldn't know if the if people would really be uh, going for that kind of a scene. Yes, you know? exactly. So they really, really like leaned into it, and well, it didn't. Out. And, and people were stoked to watch it. Yeah. Without even like, didn't even matter the quality of the film. Like everyone was going to show up and watch that because people were actually really ecstatic about just the idea. Of, right of a batman movie yeah <laughs> and then obviously tim, that, the tim burton thing, at the time too also a really exciting name in, in yeah, film at the time for sure for you know, sure and also the, like knowing his style you know he's got kind of that wacky style a little bit gothic so it does work really well with uh with the city of gotham yes especially when we get to like more of the comic book version of the uh at least gotham i think he definitely takes liberties with the characters themselves yes. which i love not I do a great, love that he does we will say not necessarily a great faithful but adaptation I, of the comic yeah character. but i think tim burton's aesthetic is fucking perfect for batman oh uh, yeah yeah like that gothic darkness it's great that that works yeah well. i mean he, he and he did a lot of it in the first film too mm. where he took like the like, gargoyles on the you know the buildings and stuff yes yeah. yes and like these really tall skyscrapers that actually kind of like remind you of what like kind of like 1930s uh yeah. city dystopias kind of looked like for sure. it actually kind of does look like fritz lang's metropolis and stuff like that yeah, that was kind yeah. of the vibe that he went for when he was conceiving his gotham he went back all the way to german expressionist stuff and he continues yeah, that makes it total sense he continues sure. it here but the thing that was really amazing about this was that Warner Brothers wanted a sequel really, really badly. <laughs> and and, and uh, Tim Burton actually, he he said when he read the screenplay for the first film, he was actually kind of bored by it. Like he was kind of oh, okay. like, he, it was a, a cash job for him. Yeah. He was like, he did good work on it and he tried yeah, to make yeah. it his own, but he wasn't that passionate about that film. So when they asked him to do a sequel, he was kind of like, uh, I kind of, there's this film called Edward Scissorhands. I kind of want to do that. Right. So he did that instead. So they started conceiving one on their own and apparently it just had this screenplay where like Catwoman and Penguin went oh, so on a this journey. this didn't happen in a sense. Like, like at least in the, in the way that we're oh, yeah, seeing it like, now. Yeah, like this movie was going to get made by Warner Brothers independently Regardless. of Tim Burton. Yes. Right, right. And and they they even um, hired um, someone to write a write the sequel, and it had like the Penguin and Catwoman like hunting for buried treasure or something. <laughs> Like going back to the '60s show, or yeah, whatever. like they wanted they wanted to go like fucking like it was it, it was crazy. So basically, what they did That's though unreal. is they couldn't get it to work. They couldn't they couldn't get a screenplay to work. So they waited for him. They waited for Tim Burton. And basically, what they Good said move. is they they loaded a giant truck of cash. Basically, they brought it to him and they said, <laughs> "We will give you this, and we will stay off your back. You can make what you want to do with it. We just want you to make another one." So Ooh. he was given unprecedented 
level of creative control. <laughs> well, it so happens that I'm feeling really horny right now. <laughs> yeah, they were like, you got to put Penguin in it. You got to put Catwoman in it. And so he hired the writer behind just... Heathers to redraft the screenplay, which is like a, a pretty like meta kind of like subversive uh, teen film, actually. Okay. And he hired him to bring on the screenplay and do it. And he's like, let's really turn these comic book characters like inside out. Like, let, yeah. let's, let's take a look at the character of Catwoman and how she's so sexualized in her comics. And let's let's run with that. Let's do let's do crazy yeah. shit. Um, so basically he got to just go insane. He, at one point he was using up 50% of the Warner brothers studio lot on his sets for this movie. <laughs> wow. Um, they were like, so these were huge, like just giant. Yeah. Like he, like Warner brothers gave him more money, more just, access and I was more never sure. control than he's been ever given for on any project probably. Yeah. <laughs> so do you know by any chance, like, like the 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 scale of those sets, like for instance, the the town city hall area. Like uh, is that whole? I mean, thing? I haven't seen pictures of them, okay. but, but the Warner Brothers lot. Yeah, they're is huge, massive. Yeah. So wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, he would fifty percent of it. Wow. Yeah. At one point, this the production was taking up fifty percent of, Oof. and and they were using that for every production okay. that they were making. So yep. for to use it for one film. Yeah. As like unheard of. They were just, <laughs> they were really putting all their cash into this one. Wow. Yes. And so he basically got to just somehow take over Warner Brothers. Yeah. And we're like, let's take one of the most famous comic book characters and I want to just make it like a psychosexual opera about like trauma and yeah. power. And apparently kids came out of this movie crying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I see this. That's. Something I wanted to bring up was uh, rewatching this yesterday. I couldn't believe that I watched it when <laughs> I was like ten or where, whenever. Yeah, I, I watched this on like like all the time because it's so sexually explicit. It's it, and it's not uh, obviously there's more subtle things too, but there's stuff that's just blatant and like those innuendos, the puns. They're they're relentless. They never stop. <laughs> yeah, well, and and it was so funny. I, I, the, I was watching it, and I was thinking, wow, that's a really explicit innuendo. And then the next yeah. thing out of Penguin's mouth is raw sexual charisma. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, that's just not an innuendo. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's just, like, he, explicit. He even, he even has a line where he says something like, uh, he's like, I'll show you my flipper trick. <laughs> and I'm just like, at this point especially, dude, what is that? <laughs> yeah, he's mostly trying to become mayor so he can grope people. Yeah, that's what <laughs> Pretty it seems. explicitly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he says it. <laughs> yeah, the whole point of him is just to, just to get ass, it seems. <laughs> yes. So this is a very. I mean, it definitely isn't a isn't a good tell when the when the candidate for a mayor starts it off with "burn, baby, burn." You know, it's like I don't think he has the best intentions for this city. <laughs> no, and and I mean, if there's anyone out there who hasn't seen Batman Returns, the the basic premise is uh, that. It's not really a story about Batman. That's kind no. of the thing that most people have to he learn. He really about is this secondary. Movie. Yeah. I mean, he re- he's he kind of just figuring out what's going he on. He doesn't but even the show focus... up on screen until like 20 minutes into the movie, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, the real character focus is both uh, Penguin and Catwoman more so. Batman's almost just like reacting to what they're doing rather than yes. really being a part of, of the character development. Right. And, and both of these villains, Catwoman played by Michelle Pfeiffer in what I think is genuinely just one of her best performances. Oh, uh, yeah. And it's just an amazing performance in general. And then same goes for fucking Danny DeVito playing the Penguin. Yeah, he's, what dude, an he's, insane. He's so he, he was nominated in for a Razzie for Penguin. Oh, yeah. you fuckers. <laughs> 
every week <laughs> you tell me something that I'm just like so upset about. That's insane. Because yeah. he, like he gives everything to this role. Like he's yeah. disgusting throughout the entire thing. He the whole time he has to play this guy with like black liquid coming out of his yeah, he, mouth he, at he, all he times. Put, he put mouthwash and food coloring in his mouth so that it looked like he was like oozing just all the time. all the time, yeah. yeah. And it's just every little thing that he does is both, it's very strange and over the top, but I mean, Tim Burton creates such a world that it makes perfect sense that he's doing all of this, uh, that oh, yeah. he's doing all of this in. It's just, I can't believe he got a Razzie. That's unbelievable. It's such a... It's it's a brave performance. It really is. Like, <laughs> like holy shit. You know. You, you know. Like that. That's a. It's a. It's pretty risky to do something like that. Yeah. Well, and to somehow even in this universe, and to somehow manage like like genuine like emotion and soul under all that makeup. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because like I mean, he is playing a very heightened performance. Obviously, it's a very tick laden performance because he's playing just a very exaggerated character in terms of mm. even just the look, like his his freaking umbrellas that he has <laughs> yeah. and his like giant pointed nose, obviously to make yeah. him look even bird-like. everything from like the way he moves. He's got the penguin waddle they, and everything they, like they, that. They give him like this potato shaped body. That, yeah, with that's, like, like little than... stick legs. It looks <laughs> yeah. like almost. Yeah, it's. It's unreal. He's wearing like a onesie and like a giant fur coat. <laughs> yeah, the whole the time. Sa- the-, the same onesie, like the whole movie. It almost looks like it gets dirtier throughout and, the whole thing. And like it's sound, <laughs> and he's got a top hat and a monocle, and it yeah. like it sounds insane, but somehow it makes sense in this universe because yeah. I mean He has an army of penguins, they live in the sewer. There's just <laughs> it's it fucking batshit. Well, I mean, Burton just he has no sense of realism. Yes. Um so he, pretty much in any of his films, like even the stuff like Edward Scissor's hands, you know, like we we Beetlejuice. Like this yeah. yeah, like the suburbs still look <laughs> unnatural and, and all that. So Right, like he, yeah. he he's really stylistically um like extreme i would say like he just he he really leans into like the fairy tale aspect yeah and he really leans into obviously the the expressionism like the really shadowy lighting the unbelievable production design of like the sets oh my god and the matte paintings of the city and stuff that they do um i think they said that bo welch was the guy who did the production design and he looked at fascist architecture world fair architecture Russian architecture and German expressionism. Those were the things yeah, that those, he mostly that all took from. Clicks for sure. Yeah, and but also he has like this really like snowy, steely look, obviously, because like the city itself is kind of like this giant concrete, like cemetery looking thing. Yeah. Like it's yeah. a lot of blues and whites on steel and concrete. And then when you put in add in the Christmas colors, um, his vision is just like these imposing skyscrapers with like brass fixtures and like giant lettering, like the building that's like just the giant hall of records. Yeah. It looks straight out of like a Fritz Lang movie, like just straight up. Oh, absolutely. Um, it does look like a 1930s vision of like a sci-fi dystopia. Um, and then when it's not doing that, it's on the ground. It's doing like department stores and lavish parties and, say, the, and, and mansions. Like, one of my favorite shots is the the neon lighting where she hits out the O and the T or something yeah. like that, and it says hell here. here. Yeah. And that's right when she gets Does her whole like Catwoman transformation, which what an amazing sequence in general. Oh yeah, Catwoman absolutely. I love like she's she's spray painting all of her pink things and like you know it, goth it's girl. Just, yeah, she, yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's gone full goth girl. 
and uh, um, I just which I just is right after being shot. murdered by Christopher Walken. Yeah, right? I love that shot because it's like surrounding her house is just complete darkness of the city. Yeah, but you have that one little lighting where it says hell is here, and then she's got the the black uh, the black skin tight leather that just it's got a shine to it as well. Yeah, which so I was gonna like, say. By the way, apparently they had to vacuum seal her inside that outfit. Holy shit! Uh, and that they had to actually let her out of it like every five to ten minutes, or else she would faint. Wow, <laughs> good, good for her! My God, that's crazy. Uh, which may, maybe gives a little bit of character to some of her expressions that she makes while she's like fighting people and stuff, and doing like the huffing and like. Yeah, for sure. Uh, even though it, in textually it's supposed to be that she's kind of like doing this gymnastic stuff that she's yeah. doing, where she's like fighting. People people and flipping around and stuff like that um but yeah when it's not the department stores and lavish parties and stuff for selena it's like dilapidated alleyways of like crumbling bricks yeah. for penguin obviously it's raw sewage and broken pipes and stuff like that yeah so like the design of this world is so thoroughly like laid out I also love even like when we go to Bruce's mansion, yeah. it's never shown as like this big lit up thing. It's always dark or like yeah. fireplace lit or something like that. And it just, it, it, it gives you this sense of just huge loneliness for being a part of this giant house. And like, it, yeah, I also love before he gets called in to do his bat signal thing. He's just sitting in a chair waiting, waiting. Yeah. And he's so, it's such a subtle. He has no life outside of it. Right. It's such a subtle performance of that part too, because you can tell just within his little, uh, his, he, he raises his head and his eyes kind of like open up wider. And it's just, you can tell that he's excited. He's like, oh, I have something to do tonight. (laughs) Even though I'm a fucking billionaire and, you know, has access to whatever it is. He's just, it's, he's just lonely. He's, he's waiting for a criminal to, to interact with. (laughs) Yes, well, to connect and, with. Well, and, and that's so funny to me, too. And I think it really gets at the heart of, of the Batman character, which I mean, a lot of people, have, a lot a lot of people have talked about the Batman character where they go. He's obviously, I think it really does a good job with the character here. Yeah, right? well, it's well, like I don't think he's taking much liberty with that at all. No. Well, and especially with the idea of Batman as a character who's like this rich guy who goes out at night and say what you know, say what you will about them. He goes up and he beats up like mentally ill people living on yeah. the streets most of the time, yeah, yeah. even though some of them might be, you know, cartoonish like the Riddler or something like that. But this one takes that more seriously because it says that, you know, this film, it does have the two major villains, but it has a lot of sympathy for the two major villains. Like it has a lot of sympathy for Danny DeVito uh, as as the Penguin and And Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. And the real villain of the movie is really Christopher Walken, who is someone that... Bruce Wayne wouldn't even think to go into his office and beat the shit out of him, right? Right. So, like, that's the difference is he's sitting there waiting for crime. Because he doesn't have a costume. <laughs> right. So even though Bruce Wayne is technically, he's supposed to be, like, the good billionaire who wouldn't do what that guy does, yeah. he doesn't think, I should beat him up and tell him to stop doing crimes. He's, right. like, he's waiting for the poor people to come out of the sewers. Yes. or for his the, crimes the, have a contract connected to them. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And and the movie, weirdly enough, does like address address that because you feel really bad for yeah. the two main villains in this movie, um, especially like as much as Penguin does some pretty monstrous stuff by the end oh, of the yeah. film. His death is really sad. And you're just like, man. And especially because they do a good job of separating him or by comparing him to Bruce Wayne by saying like, look, uh, he would have been like a private school bunkmate of yours yeah. if he didn't look and weird. I love that right? scene too where it shows the kind of like, you, he actually empathizes with with the penguin in the scene where he's just like, I hope he finds his parents. Yeah. You know, like where he's like instantly making that connection and, yeah. then, and then that kind of... Uh, 
I'm I'm alone and in that same boat just through uh, the the television. Like I I love how there that he always has a lot of uh, uh, things where he sees the like Batman's always just watching through a screen, hoping yeah. that he's gonna find something else to do or somebody <laughs> to connect with or whatever it is. And I I don't know that I, I they, he captured the loneliness of Batman perfectly. In yeah, this I mean like this this movie really hammers home the loneliness of like a lot of these characters and yeah. and, and the idea of how lonely do you have to be to go out at night and like take yeah. on this mission right like exactly. to dress up and go crazy and pretend and feel like you're being your truest self at night dressed up in a costume right yeah like there's yeah. an there's an inherent just loneliness and speaking that. on that a little bit too there's one scene and it's for me it played for comedy because there's a part where uh where batman or bruce i guess he, he's like uh i'm gonna take the the pole that he has or no the the torture device that he has yes. to walk in and alfred is just like i'm gonna take the stairs yeah. and then they both get to the bat cave at the same time and that just gave me this kind of vibe that that Bruce is like playing a game in yes. a sense where he's just kind of like I'm Batman. It's you know, a look. I'm it's so a, excited yeah. about it and yeah, exactly. Like you he's see, playing dress He's playing up. a part exactly. And I thought that that was such a it's it's played for a joke but it's actually a, a cool little subtle thing of his character, I think. Yeah, well and and it it really hammers home how he's connected to all of like the major figures in this movie because I mean, I mean two of them obviously dress up and pretend to be something else and then Max Shrek uh, by the way an allusion to Nosferatu that's the lead actor of the film Nosferatu oh okay um, uh, Max Shrek played by Christopher Walken his performance is the philanthropic uh, businessman I mean at the time I imagine it was some sort of Trump illusion which yeah. is just funny that we have movies that do that and obviously they wouldn't have known whatever was going to happen but it was just <laughs> yeah. like like he was just a figure of like of old money uh, yeah. and real estate and like so that's what Christopher Walken is kind of doing where he's passing down trying to pass down his legacy to his son Chip <laughs> right um which but, is also where it seems like the love for his son comes from more yeah. so than anything the legacy rather than the I will name, say yes. like he does having the name on the building like yeah because there is a scene where he uh like takes he sacrifices himself for his son yeah and you think at first it's like oh that's kind of that's admirable a, that's, that's a gesture you know? yeah. but what it actually is is probably well I need my company to keep going and I'm the older one yeah so I'll just let my son do it take me instead you know yes when I when you really analyze his character he's probably not doing it for the most uh <laughs> you know uh, positive reasons. Right. Well, it's just funny how all of these characters are connected because I mean, when, when you look at Shrek, I imagine Bruce sees like kind of like the hyper capitalist rich boy that like he might've been like, he might've been chip if his parents didn't die. Right. That kind of thing. Right. And then at the same time he looks at penguin and he sees someone who uh, was also, um, and, an orphan right yeah um but he didn't have the benefit of the looks to blend into society and that kind of in the same way that he has and then obviously he looks at catwoman who is someone who has had violence inflicted on her and is going out into the night to get revenge the same way that that happened to him just via his parents so he's looking at all these different characters and like it's kind of like a split psyche of like all three of them and he kind of confronts all three of them in different in different ways um but the the craziest thing is that it just it really does have empathy for like the uh downtrodden catwoman who is someone who um 
is just kind of like a working class girl who was abused by her boss and then murdered by her yeah, boss. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's a little bit more than abuse, we'll say. Um, yeah, those, th- that line that he has where he's just like, next time I'll push her out a higher window. I was <laughs> like, like damn, that's cold, bro. <laughs> Very <My> cold. God. <laughs> <laughs> he's just, abs- that character is just relentless. It's yeah. al- I almost feel like that's kind of why they had like the the weird white hair that he has. Yes. <laughs> it just almost adds like a coldness to it. <laughs> I know it's a bit cliche and stupid, but I don't know what it is. Like he looks like a uh, like soulless. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it well, looks like yeah, he has gray. Like, eyes. like when it gets to the end and they do that thing where they char his corpse, it's actually like, <laughs> oh hey, it's actually it's not that. Yeah, okay. it makes sense actually. Yeah. <laughs> He's got the look. For um, sure. But I really like the detail where you know she's she's at work as his secretary and then she goes home and she goes to her answering machine and her mom's like why don't you have a boyfriend yet and then and then she goes to the next one and it's like a perfume commercial uh, about getting men but also the commercial is a shrek industries perfume commercial (laughs) and they were like it'll have your boss being like uh trying to assault you and like that's like the that's the advertisement and i'm pretty sure she listens to that after um she she murders her right and then she has her awesome resurrection scene Um, yeah like when she opens the door and it's like all silhouetted yeah and her hair is everywhere that darkness to the comedy is unreal like she's murdered and then you get a fucking advertisement in your voicemail in your personal where it's like Like, wear perfume maybe your boss will assault you at work you know (laughs) oh my god (laughs) maybe your boss won't toss you out of a a 50-story window (laughs) And yeah, so she she channels that violence that's been done to her and sort of like the obviously the the inherent like injustice of it, obviously, and her lack of kind of like agency in her life. Yeah. So she channels that into being Catwoman and finding a sense of empowerment through fantasy, um, both violent and uh, very deeply sexual, obviously. Yeah, it seems like instead of having... uh all filter she just gets rid of it completely you know that kind of thing she goes she goes completely unhinged and uh really likes um fucking people up she really (laughs) likes messing with batman but also like kind of wants to turn them on before she does it (laughs) yeah which is just it's always so weird you're watching it and you're just like like you just see catwoman like sensually stroking like his rubber abs yeah and you're like This is weird. Yeah, it's getting to a, it's a, a little whole kinky, other spot. honestly. <laughs> yeah, this was this was definitely when I was thinking, why am I watching this when I was ten? <laughs> and, and how did I not? Like, I don't remember any of this horniness. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's so blatant. It's it's uh, it's unreal. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, the whole movie is just horny as hell. With the uh, <laughs> that's the pussy I was looking for. Yeah. Exactly. At, at one point, Penguin, that's not even trying to be like subtle. You know what I mean? No. Like three <laughs> seconds after saying that, Danny DeVito, in his just completely grotesque figure, grabs the scented lube by the bed. <laughs> Scented or unscented? Yeah. Oh my god! And then he even does like I'm pretty sure he like hops on the bed too. It almost has like a Burt Reynolds thing going on for a second. And just to yep. see like Penguin's body shape have the Burt Reynolds, <laughs> and then the blackness coming out of his mouth. He's sweating. It's just, it's so gross. Yeah, he's so clammy. He has streaky yeah. hair. He's shaped like a potato. He's got like a Hank Hill ass. And even like the, you know what I'm like, talking about? The little oh, yeah. tiny little look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like so. Such a big boy. It's like, where'd the butt go? <laughs> <laughs> the um, and and also that room itself. 
Just like the emptiness of the attic. It's just one bed, a bird cage, and that's it. You know, like it's just such like the setting there is just so sad and 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 empty and oh like yeah, it's I, just, I love that shot where he comes up the spiral staircase and it's a split diopter shot, but across not from left to right, but from top to bottom of the frame, and it's her lying down across mm, the bed in yeah. like a sensual position, and Penguin just like getting a little bit closer. He's like, oh, yeah, wow, what's going on <laughs> yeah. here? Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a scene but she she even ends up and just like she kind of she, 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 uh, she kind of flirts with him or like yeah it, it hypes him up a little bit what do you think of but mostly the, because again she's she's using it as a manipulating tactic mm-hmm. like she's like everyone is always telling you know these women have to go after men they have to be sexier they have to do this and instead she has decided to use it as a weapon to like get what she actually wants and what she yeah. wants when she approaches him is to take down batman because batman slighted her is the yeah. i think the main thing that happened where she's just like there can't be two uh like insane psychos trying to kill people out here <laughs> yeah yeah which- because by the way worth mentioning this is one of the few and maybe the only batman film where he's just a straight up murderer Oh, I was, yeah, I was going to mention that. Yeah, he blows a dude up and and smiles about it. Yeah. Like, real happy about it. Like, that, that's the thing that gets really <laughs> interesting to me is because she's obviously doing it because it's an empowerment fantasy where she feels powerful and she has strength and she yeah. can, um, and, and, she, and she's inflicting violence. And it's like, the violence is bad. And, and then I'm watching it and I'm looking at it and I'm like, she's really turned on by it in a way. And yeah, then I was like, for sure. And then it, but it doesn't let Batman off the hook because every time he's being the shit out of people, that's the only time he ever smiles. That's the only time yeah. he's ever like, and, yep. and people always get mad at the movie because it had Batman smiling under the cowl, which I guess looked silly to them. But yeah. I well now it's, it's become, a- I mean, it has become that freeze frame meme. Yeah. Where it's just like <laughs> him with a big smile right before he blows the guy up. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I found that, I found that interesting. I will say as like a big fan of, of the Batman lore and stuff, it was a little bit odd, but with this movie, I think it's, it's so, it's so forgivable. And so that's what I mean. Like I couldn't be mad because I'm like, this Batman doesn't feel like the, the Batman of the comics anyway. So yeah. like he's, ba- they're taking the basic archetypes of them and then just kind of putting his Tim Burton spin on and it. And some of the design work. And yeah, yeah. Like and that, it's right? not to say it's like you can't have this movie without the Batman lore because he is still grabbing from that, the loneliness, all that kind of stuff. Um, but y- yeah, it was, I will say it was, a, it was a bit odd to watch him laugh and then also blow a guy up just <laughs> very happily. Yeah. Uh, I, I, there was I, another scene too. I'm trying to remember. I think honestly they just didn't like want to put him on like a moral high ground because it would yeah. make, it would make the drama like a little bit less, it would make it just more obvious. It would be like, he's got to stop the bad people, but it's yeah. more interesting when it's complicated by the fact that like he has the same thrills and pleasure that they do. Like every time Catwoman tries to come on to him, he's super psyched about it. He's, he's like stoked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like licking his little lips. He's got like little, uh, uh, yeah. like lip moisturizer. You're on not used to like, yeah, you do feel like he could put out little, little bat chapstick and just start like, <laughs> yeah, for real, man. Um, and then they start, I really love how they start, uh, incorporating the relationship with, with Selena and Bruce. And then mm-hmm. mixing that with the relationship with Catwoman and, and Batman. I mean, we've seen this before, but the way that they do it here is just really interesting. Um, I love when they, I think they, they do a certain kiss and she, it's the way that she grabs his hip and he realizes that this could be 
Catwoman. And then they have this hilarious thing because most of the time it's Bruce that's trying to get out of the date and try to make up the excuse and go to Alfred he's, and be he's like, he's got another Alfred, life. Could you, yeah. yeah, could you make something up so I could go be Batman and all that? And I love that this time around they had him do that, but then they had Selena also come up to Alfred and be like, uh, I've got to go. Could you tell him that? I do anything for him. I mean, don't say that. Don't say that. You know. And then yeah, well, and, I just and, and love I, that they both had that. I've got to go because I'm living two separate lives. Yeah, that's one good. of the most adult loves scenes it. in the movie. I think because yeah. it's those two, you know, um, being the people they pretend to be, which right. is Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle. They're pretending to be those people. They're, they're having a romantic. Truly, they feel the like couch. they're being completely freed when they have the costume on. Exactly, it feels like themselves rather than a yeah, alter and, ego. And they both don't know that they share that connection at the time. And, and I don't yeah, think they what, know that that's their their real selves and not their alter ego. No, they don't know that yet either. Um, Especially, they don't really know that until the end, I don't think, when they talk face-to-face in their costumes and stuff and they know who each other are and then they get more into that. But that scene where they start making out on the couch and earlier in the film, she stabbed him in the gut with one of her claws and she burnt and he burned her arm with a, like an acidic, some sort of chemical that he threw at her to like get her off of him. Yeah. And yeah, the bit, the shots that he chooses when like she's trying to like reach down and, you know, she's stroking his abs and then he's like, oh, she's going to touch my wound. And, yeah. then he, and then he reaches her arm and she's like, he's going to touch my acidic <laughs> burn. And yeah. they're both like freaking out about it. And she has the great line when she goes to leave. She says, Alfred, can you tell him that he makes me feel like I hope I am? Yeah. Yeah, and which, which is like a really vulnerable moment, and then she immediately undercuts it. Michelle Pfeiffer's so good; she immediately yeah. undercuts it and says, "No, that's bad." Um, <laughs> do you know a dirty limerick? I love Alfred too. One has just come to mind. Yeah, <laughs> it's just such a class act. Because because oh. it really is these people who feel more alive and themselves and vulnerable, and th- like being. Um, like these costumed characters and I also that they think are playing. Like that dirty limerick line too is almost like, cause like you were saying, she's trying to be real at first. Right. Yeah. And I think the sex, the, like the horniness is almost a mask itself. Right. Yeah. Where it's like to the real love that they're trying to connect with each other. What they end up doing is just kind of like, just, just do make it sex, you know, so that <laughs> Too we don't hot people. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't have to dive deeper and, and, you know, Whatever it is, uh, get into each other's lives and, and mess them up. Because they both know that they have these secret separate lives. That they don't want to tell each other, right, obviously. Right, So I, it, it's and then, interesting. And, and then, it, weirdly enough, that ends up being kind of like what they're attracted to, probably. Yeah. Is that there's someone else out there. I mean, he even says, you're like me. Don't you see? Like, don't you see? Right. This is, this is why we were connected to each other. Yeah. We both have this, this thing. Um, and I, I do like that she kind of counteracts that by being like, don't, don't try to make this like a like a happy ending like it's not a fairy tale like i'd love to go live with you in your mansion but that's like not, not that's happen. not the life of someone like me like yeah. that's not like that's again he's isolated and sheltered and cut off from everyone else and he seems to think that that's normal but everyone else is like no like you have to interact with the world because the world is shitty right and, and she's the one who actually the makes the most he... moral case which is like this guy's 
clearly making the world shitty. Yeah, and, and you don't and, and you don't take him down. You're gonna and yeah. you're like you're gonna take him to jail. What he's gonna get out? Yeah. He's gonna do this. Like she's and the I one. Mean, the only time he interacts with the world is when it's shitty too, though. Yes. Right. Like it's like he he never gets to see normal everyday just love and well, happiness that's or whatever. The difference is that he, he, when he goes reacting, out to connect with someone, he's going to kick their ass basically. Right. But <laughs> and, and what she's arguing is that he's reacting to the symptoms. Like right. She was like me and Penguin are symptoms of a world that is troubled by more things than just uh, a psycho and a rubber duck who's got a yeah. who's got penguin friends right or like me who likes to go out and like assault um, muggers and like you know like there, there are worse things out there that are causing this and they are the character of Max Shrek who yeah. is just constantly pursuing profit at the he's just expense the of these people you know he's basically just funding the whole thing you know he's, he's friends pushing with the mayor. penguin he's put, <laughs> right right exactly he's the he's he's seen as a respected figure who I, I love his speech. Christopher Walken, just always fun to watch all the time. Anyway. Oh, yeah, he's fantastic. But, but his speech that he gives at the beginning there where he's just like, Santa Claus, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, just want to make the world a, a better place. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's great. I also love when, when he meets Penguin. And Penguin goes, yes, but you're a well-respected monster. Yes. It's like, you have, you have respect. You have you know, things you, that I want. Yes, yes, yeah. Exactly. People like the way that you do evil things. Well, and, and that's also <laughs> interesting about Danny DeVito's character, too, when he takes him and he brings him in and he, he, he's trying to get him to see that power can be exercised in a way that's not through an underground uh, network of circus people in the sewers. Yeah. He's like, that's power, sure. But there's another mode of power here at play that I'm welcoming you into and should have been yours at birth because right. your parents because they were, were rich. rich. Yeah. yeah, so then it but so, so, so then it's getting into the whole thing of obviously the idea that should he have been powerful just because he was rich in the first place and right because that's max's be, entire reason basically right and and i love you the deserve way it. i love the way that he says it where he's just like you can reclaim your birthright what your parents took from you yeah um and that is actually what makes him go yes and what did he say he goes fine i'll be mayor <laughs> 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 well they've got him in the giant office with the giant oswald for mayor posters oswald yeah. will clean up the city when he does that big speech in front of everyone outside where it's so funny because danny vito is obviously he's like four ten or something yeah, he's like yeah. four he's really tiny he's made he, for this role <laughs> and and they have all the microphones in his face like like yeah. they're like you can't even see him because he's so short and he's giving his giant speech to everyone out front where um, and the design, it looks like fucking Citizen Kane. Like when he's oh, giving yeah. his speech and it's got the big thing behind him. And like yep. you look to the side, it's got like this giant brass dude like holding a boulder. It's massive. Yeah. The design work in this film, I, I got to say, like it really is just what sends it over the top for me. It's just like on top of this like really awesome story that is, you know, in part about trauma and obviously the identity of these people who have two have, have dual identities um and isolation and and loneliness and and power and all of this it is really ultimately also just an aesthetic vision a more extreme aesthetic vision than i think i've ever seen someone impose on like a studio product that they didn't <laughs> write yeah like this is oh like, yeah like he just jumped in and was like yeah i'll hire my screenwriter we'll see what he makes and then from there I'm just going to do whatever the fuck I want. Like it's, it is so expressive to the point of 
it actually is like a psychotic movie about these psychotic characters. <laughs> yeah. um, I really liked the way that um, Letterboxd user Matt Lynch described the film where mm. he said that ultimately it was three cosplaying homicidal psychotics driven insane by a pulpy combination of sexual desire, emotional trauma, and socioeconomic anxiety wage open-armed conflict in a major metropolitan area. <laughs> this was bankrolled by a major studio and released to an eager public. <laughs> yeah. And it did really well, didn't it? Uh, and it, I don't think it did as well as the first one. And it was definitely, um, we will say, critically, it w- and I, I don't know that it did poorly, but we'll say in terms of subject matter, it was alienating enough that Warner Brothers <laughs> quietly yeah. said, Tim Burton, please don't come back for another one after they tried really hard to get him for the second one. Well, that's a bummer because, I mean, I I do It would have been have nice to see him close out a trilogy. There's a place in my heart for the other two that, that were not done by Tim. But, the Joel Schumacher ones? Yeah. The, are they both Schumachers? I think they're both Schumachers. Okay. Batman Forever and yeah, Batman and Robin. I, they're just like... Which, which, by the way, Batman... Uh, but I would have preferred Tim to do more. <laughs> yeah. Batman and Robin actually stole a climax idea that they came up while making this film. Oh, really? Just one idea that they threw around yeah. was this idea of Penguin freezing the world the way that Mr. Freeze tries to. Oh, okay. The, so they actually ended up recycling some of the ideas that they came up with for this film for later films, oh, nice. including Robin. They, at one point, they tried to fit Robin into this, but they were like, it doesn't work with it. it <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> well, they were like, it doesn't work with the loneliness angle. They were like, we yeah. really, the loneliness angle was really important on all these fronts because all of these characters in their own way are just extremely like emotionally stunted because of a lack of interaction with people yeah. and because of their isolation. He was like, that's just such a fundamental part of this story. And I mean, also I it's, mean, Ro- it's part of what Tim Burton likes to do in a lot of his stories. He likes to explore the pain uh, of, of like weirdos and yeah. freaks and yeah. like how they choose to channel that, how they affect each other, the he humanity of the weirder people. Penguin gets one of my favorite lines and it was, uh, yes. he was like, you're just jealous because I'm a genuine freak and you have to wear a mask. Yes. And I'm like, one of the, fuck yeah. And like, I put it on my letterbox. I was like, this yep. is my reply to anyone that wears a metal t-shirt and <laughs> doesn't listen to the band or the genre. He's the real We deal. all know that you're fake. <laughs> all right? And I'm a genuine freak. <laughs> yeah, so that's Batman in this movie. Batman is a tryhard. I love okay? that line. <laughs> exactly. Batman's a friggin' tryhard. You wish you shopped at Hot Topic when you were a teenager, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so maybe, maybe pivoting towards the reductive rating round here, um, for me... I gotta say, this this does really get this this gets the five for me. I think that this nice. is just unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. It the fact that this is. was a a major blockbuster of 1992, um, a children's movie that <laughs> is actually just a gothic expressionist, like psychosexual, like operatic tragedy. I didn't even get to talk about Danny Elfman's score. Oh, it's um, unbelievable. Which is, I as, mean, Elfman in general has such a like. Uh, he, he's weird because he can do very creepy things, but there's yes. always like an upbeat uh, rhythm to them. It's mm-hmm. always very fast paced and, 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 uh, yeah, it's, it's almost ribbon. whimsical sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that'd be a perfect word for it. Like even when he's doing really Gothic strings and stuff like that, mm-hmm. there is a very whimsical kind of element to his, mm-hmm. his scores. I, he's unreal. He well, really yeah, is. That's what I like about it. Cause it's, it, it's, a, it's as lyrical and like bombastic a score as like Danny Elfman has helps probably with the ever wacky conceived. gadgets and stuff too. Yes. Right. And the designs and like, yeah, how just unreal. It makes it, it more believable because 
a lot of the stuff they're showing you visually can be pretty fucking out there. Yeah. Like some of the gadgets they do, like one where Bat- Batman's Batmobile has just like a f- like a little like a cylinder that comes out of the middle, so he can do U turns. <laughs> like it's so <laughs> random, and, and and it's so wacky, but. Honestly, the help of Elfman's score really uh, makes it believable. It, yeah. Because it, it definitely helps, yeah. Yeah, well, because I, I would just say that, like, it's it's really operatic, but it's also mm-hmm. still somehow, like, mournful and melancholy. Yeah. Because even when the movie is, like, exciting, like some of the action scenes and stuff like that, where Batman's beating the shit out of people or driving the Batmobile around, um, it, it's exciting because of this really bizarre fetish for power and control that all these characters have. Yeah. Uh, like the score is almost like ghostly um, as the camera like moves through like the frozen concrete wasteland that is mm. like Gotham's underbelly, which is populated by just like these really idiosyncratic, like odd people who he really gets into like the political reality of. It's almost a political satire when it gets to the point where they have <laughs> yeah. him running for mayor and stuff like that. Oh, it definitely how- is. Yeah how it's mostly all just a front for Max Shrek to get a surplus of power. Yeah. Like just uh, like, not even just like actual power, just like, uh, like energy. Like Mm -hmm. that's his plan is he's just like, I want more people to have to buy more energy for me. (laughs) That's his whole big thing. Now I'm assuming you do because it's a five, but uh, I was just curious as to like some of the, some of the puns get pretty, (laughs) pretty eye rolly. Not in a bad way. I don't think. Eat floor. Yeah. Like (laughs) eat floor. She 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 falls into sand and she's like mm, kitty litter you know yeah. that kind of stuff. No, uh, there's one point where she's on the end of the bed. It's all part of the performative stuff for, for sure. Me. For I sure. love it when she's on the bed and she starts licking her her suit and then cleaning herself like an actual yeah. cat. And then the scene cuts. That's how the scene cuts. So yeah. it's just like um, there were certain things I totally I totally got hundred yeah. percent. Some of the stuff, although I do I do love it. I, I still f- can almost see why someone would be like, that's a little, that's a little too much. You know what I, you know what I mean? I mean, I know that you love it. Yeah. But do you, do, do you at least see that kind of a perspective or do you think it, it just works? God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I honestly think I'm... Because it doesn't I'm, bother me. Yeah. I just see how it could. Like it's corny. Yeah, it is corny. I mean, it's undeniably corny, yeah. but... It, there's a lot of love to it, you know, like, yeah, like, yeah, th- th- I mean, that's why it doesn't bother me just because, yeah. it, because for, for me, as soon as we get into those scenes, which do feel like the obligatory Batman has to punch someone and have a one liner kind of thing, yeah. which is w- what it is probably for Warner Brothers. Sure. For, yeah, yeah. for me, it's all just of a piece with these people who like they're trying so hard to be like this. Oh, yeah. Like, like they're like, again, like they they feel so they're alive. putting on the character. In a sense. Yes. Like, and, like, and, 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 and that's why when him and Catwoman do it no, to I mean, each other, yeah, I like there's that. almost like a push and pull back and forth with them where like they're clearly performing at each other. But then also they're hyping each other up at the same time because because like they're like here's someone who is like me who makes me feel alive yeah. who actually tests me in in their own weird way no, you're, yeah you're right and then all of a sudden that makes you pull, me like you, it you pull back the mask more. and all of a sudden these people are like wow we are just like lonely weirdos who like to go out at night and kill people and get horny about it and have like <laughs> this weird rubber leather kink yeah she even has like a whip it's like bdsm shit yeah <laughs> yeah oh 100 uh she has that line too where she's just uh she talks about the security guards who are po- she's like confusing your pistols with your privates while she's like <laughs> yeah. whipping it out of their hands and stuff like that yeah you're right so so, I, totally so I do think that like the cartoonier elements of them playing dress up 
is like part of what the text of the movie is, is that these people are playing dress up as a way to kind of mask their pain. Um, But the movie, once they take them off, explores the tragedy of how these are individuals who are really just nothing when they get matched up against like the actual powers that be like the actual money and politics behind it all i mean i love shrek's line where he's like it's christmas give the constitution a rest (laughs) that's one of the big lines that that he has because he has power both in terms of like capital and financial power obviously um and then bruce and the cobblepots come from money but obviously it's also power in terms of you know the gendered violence that Selena uh, gets and obviously Penguin's parents trying to kill him. Yeah. Uh, being, As a baby. Being forced into orphanage, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is uh, kind of like the opposite of Bruce's, uh, <laughs> kind of like the darker opposite there. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like I just, I really do think that, I mean, I, I, especially the ending of this film where um, they have the symmetrical shot of, uh, Bruce going into the dark alleyway. Finally, he's left his mansion and he's going out and doing things. And he picks up the stray cat, who is Selena's previous stray cat. And he does it in the mirrored shot of the silhouette where she comes home and greets the cat in her opening uh, scene that she has. And he says, Merry Christmas, Alfred, and goodwill toward men and women. And women. So it's just, it's a total feel bad Christmas movie about just lonely psychopaths. Because they all end up alone. Every one of them. Or dead. Yeah. Yeah. Alone or, <laughs> or dead. dead. Merry and Christmas. They are just like lonely, murderous psychos yeah. that somehow you believe that emotional pain while also going to absurd places like Danny DeVito uh, in a onesie and a fur coat and a top hat <laughs> inside of a giant rubber duck. That is also a car. I was going to (laughs) say, that baby goes on road too. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, it's also got rockets strapped to their back doing kamikaze shit. I got to say, that that scene, just iconic. When Danny DeVito is rallying up the troops. (laughs) And when I say troops, what I mean is penguins with rocket attached to their backs. Yep. Just, that's that's art right there. Just an unbelievable (laughs) shot. And in front of his his sewer circus clowns. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And his monkey and the dog and like all these different things. I love too when he says, uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to give it a four, by the way. It's so close to the five. I know, I know, (laughs) I know. But uh, it's so close. And this time around, I, I. Closest it's ever been. Yeah, (laughs) it's, I almost guarantee it's going to get there. Um, But one scene I just wanted to mention before we wrap it up was, uh. I love when when he mentions that they're gonna slaughter all of the firstborn children, and then so biblical, and then <laughs> so yeah, biblical. <laughs> biblical. And then the one clown is even like, yeah, we might be going a little too far, <laughs> you know. And then he just shoots him dead. Like it's just, I just love that penguin at no, one point good. went so far sure. that that is like his army was like. I can't even, I can't get behind you on that one, man. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's a fantastic film. Yeah, I, so th- despite the fact that he's doing biblical violence <laughs> and that he's covered in prosthetics and, and, and makeup, somehow Danny DeVito locates soul of an abused and abandoned boy raised by animals in a sewer. Yeah. And you're, you just think about that and you're like, how is that even possible? <laughs> how did he pull it off? It's unbelievable. Also it worth really noting is. that I think that this is the only... Uh, comic book movie outside of that that really took Watchmen, the original comics idea 
of being turned on by the leather and the thrill of the violence and stuff of that from Watchmen. I was like, man, Tim Burton. That's true. Somehow he got it. Oh, and before we go, one line we didn't mention that I have written down here that we definitely had to hit. Sickos never scare me. At least they're committed. <laughs> Hell yeah. Which is obviously a great double wording because either they yeah. are committed as in institutionalized or they are committed to their bit. De- <laughs> definitely one of the stronger puns. <laughs> yes. Oh man. Yeah. F- fucking fantastic. And I just, the, the last note, I, I did not remember all the horniness. My God. This movie is just no, so, so horny. Cat, Penguin wants to fuck movie. Catwoman. Catwoman <laughs> wants to fuck Batman. Yeah. Batman kind of wants to fuck everybody. Yeah, kinda, I think so. Kind of all of Gotham. Really. Yeah, he's he's there. <laughs> he for doesn't want to just save the city. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that will lead us into our discussion on a another feel bad Christmas movie. Yeah. That is both a psychodrama. That is melancholic and layered also with with kink. This is if and Bruce Wayne never became Batman. Yes. <laughs> yes. It, it is a film that that matches Batman Returns bizarre levels of gender politics and horniness and anxieties about power and money yeah. um, at the, during the Christmas holidays. The only other film I can think of in existence that does this. <laughs> and that yeah. is Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut, which we are going to be talking about next year. Let's do it. What's the big mystery? I have seen one or two things in my life, but never anything like this. You know there is no way on earth you're going to leave here tonight without taking me with you. We are back, and we are talking Eyes Wide Shut, the 1999, listen to this, this is what Wikipedia says, <laughs> erotic mystery psychological drama film. Interesting. That's a lot, of, right. that's a lot of genres. Yes, that's it four is. Four genres. Uh, directed, produced, and co-written by one Stanley Kubrick. Maybe you've heard of this man. Maybe. Uh, it's also based on a 1926 <laughs> true events for sure <laughs> but also a 1926 novella called dream story okay so he took the story from the 1920s and he adapted it to uh it took place in vienna in the 1920s and he adapted it to be in new york city 1990s and believe it or not the basic plot is actually pretty much the same really other than some so, american specific aspects a okay. lot of the scenes that you watch including like he has to go to a costume party and the uh, guy who's doing the costume might be pimping out his daughter. Like all of that stuff is from. Oh, the book. wow. Yeah, I, I went through the I haven't read the book, but I went through and I looked at the summary of the book and I was like, wow, most of these scenes made it into the, the movie. What about the whole like ritual stuff like the, the mansion stuff? Not it's it's there, but okay. it's not it obviously it's not directed and extended by Stanley Kubrick to be like insanely horrifying. Yeah. So yeah. it's not quite <laughs> cause it is. The, I would say there is a, a tone here and a sustained tone here that differentiates and recontextualizes some of the events of the book into something a little bit scarier mm. than the book was. The book seemed more like a guy 
who um, becomes kind of shocked by this idea of his wife having um, a fantasy or both of them actually in the book it's actually both of them have fantasies um, and, then and they tell each other they tell each other okay. yes I think I think her fantasy is the one that she says in the movie and then his fantasy is uh, about an underage girl okay so 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 t- basically what they wanted to do what Kubrick did was like we're gonna take it so that uh, that, that Cruz takes on the the character of more like he's almost lying about it right he he, yes. he wants to hold it he's back. he's repressed yeah yes right. which okay. which Cruz uh, to be fair to him he plays extremely well oh yeah uh, very out of Honestly, character for him it it to me, it almost felt like watching this. It was like Cruz didn't admitting get the something. Subtext. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I feel like he understood what was generally happening and all that, but I, I honestly don't know if he was aware of how, uh, uh, I don't know, how how I don't know what the word is. It's it's um like he they the way that he analyzes his character is not very positive at all, even though he's constantly putting on this very charming um, persona and he's also doing this stuff where, okay, for one scene, this will be a perfect example of what I'm trying to say. The, the scene where he goes to, to the hooker, right? And then he basically almost goes through with it. And then he doesn't, but he gives her the money anyway. And I feel like he thinks that that's just such a good gesture. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, not the fact that he was there in the first place yeah. to, to do what he was going to do. That he had the fantasy, yeah. But just that he didn't go through with it, and he paid her anyway. I'm a good guy. That's kind of yeah. like the, the whole which is, thing I got Which is that. a weird thing, too, because you can see that Nicole Kidman, she admits her fantasy that she had about, right. obviously, having an affair with a naval officer that she was, at the time, she was so horny that she yeah. was willing to give up her entire family for it. Right. Uh, just for one night with this naval officer. Right. Which she, is a devastating thing to hear from your girlfriend, of course. Uh, uh, your sure. wife. I'm or your sure. wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, your wife. Uh, yeah. And, <laughs> with and, a child. And she tells that to him. But what's interesting about that is she tells him, I didn't go through with it. And when I went down stairs and saw that he was gone i was relieved that i didn't have that desire there. anymore yeah um yeah. and and that she was telling him that i'm horrified more by just my own desire and not even that, that she thought that way yeah that yeah. she was like there's something inside of me that made me feel that way and after it was over i looked at it and i was i i you know i i felt bad about it but you know, there's something there. There's something not accounted for in this life that yeah, we have. She, she felt like, I can't remember the exact wording, but it was almost like a, a duality where she was in both places. Yeah. Right? Where it was like, I want the fantasy to happen, but I, I so badly do not want that fantasy to happen. Because she knows that it would shatter everything else. Right. And, and, and her admitting this actually is what triggers his shattering. I mean, th- af- yeah. throughout the rest of the movie after that, he keeps uh, visualizing her fantasy yeah. in like this like extreme... Uh, blue, like reduced frame rate footage of her just uh, getting uh, railed by a dude in some a uh, naval guy. I think. Yeah, some, some, guy some, some, some dude in a naval officer yeah. uniform. <laughs> and he, Going to town. And every time it cuts to that, and then it cuts back to his face, and he's just being like, Ugh. just yeah, blank, just so like distraught. <laughs> yeah, every time it's so funny. This movie's actually a lot funnier than I remembered it being. I mean, like it's pretty grim and yeah, and stuff. But I know like, what you mean. Like, it, it almost has, like, this sense of you're watching a character in that way that the Coens can sometimes be funny. You're watching yeah. them trapped in, like, a, a a structure or a machine, and you're kind of, like, 
you're you're watching them just react to it. Yeah, I do um, think like because Tom Cruise goes on like an odyssey in this. Film. Yeah, this is it's his like sexual sexual fantasy odyssey essentially. Yeah, where where, where he's like, like she cheated on me in her head, so now I'm gonna cheat on her in my head is kind of like his right thing. That, yeah, then that's what's interesting is he he goes out to 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 maybe do it to maybe, but it also seems like the whole time he's just kind of spectating. You know, like you do have a sense that he might go through with it. But for the most part, I did kind of. There is a distance from him. But see, I think that's just Kubrick. I think Kubrick as a guy, he's a very distant style filmmaker. And like other than those brief glimpses into what he's imagining her fantasy is. Right. There's not a lot of subjectivity to this film. It's a lot of like matter. Again, same way we talked about when we did the Shining episode, how I said the thing that was kind of really stood out to me about that film on rewatch was this idea that. He took the hotel and he filmed it as this, this matter of fact thing. And the horror kind of comes from his own like style and structure. It's not from, you know, this uh, really decrepit looking hotel with this really angular lighting that makes it look so creepy. Like a lot of this is very just him walking through. Yeah, it is matter of fact. Like, like, like an apartment or walking through uh, some sort of mansion or walking through these spaces and the steady cam just kind of following him. They even took that as far as with with the lighting, which they said that every chance they could, they didn't use any lighting. They just took the lighting of, that's why they put it at Christmas time. Yeah. They wanted the lighting of the Christmas lights, of the Christmas trees, of just the neon on the streets. And they wanted that to just be so it's where like the constant, style came from. It's like there's a darkness to it because it's mostly at nighttime. Yeah. But then you also have that, you know, the, the, the big neon lights and all that. So there's this balance of darkness and then maybe like a hint of <laughs> a hint of light trying to come out of that all, you know? Yeah, but, but that's just what I mean when it, it doesn't like, this is somehow a movie that feels surreal yeah. while not actually taking on any surrealist style like in the way that say Tim Burton would Tim yeah. Burton would go insane he would design the buildings to look crazy he would des- like he would he would make it a design challenge yeah. he would go to the German expressionist guys and be like how do I capture this headspace using the sets and the lighting and this and Kubrick just never doesn't think to do that which leads oh. you to this kind of thing where you're just watching a guy walk around yeah a lot and have these bizarre detailed interactions where like everything is transactional. One thing I I noted looking up for research for this one was that apparently he told uh, his co-writer that when they were doing dialogue, he didn't want any flowery um, like wordplay or wit in the dialogue. He was like, I want this to be purely terse, transactional conversations of like people just trading information or yeah. trading uh you money know. for bodies <laughs> yes i mean i love that i think it's really indicative that one line where the girl invites him upstairs there's not a whole lot of indication that like uh she's really uh i mean like obviously she approaches him and she's like you want to have a good time and all yeah, of that yeah but there's no one's she hasn't come out and said i'm a prostitute yeah and right. then he goes first thing he does he goes so should we talk about money yeah, <laughs> that's right. like the first thing that comes out of his mouth when they're when they're sitting there after making like you know meaningless small talk and that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, and it does seem like uh, she was trying to elongate it a little bit more, like yes. try- almost trying to make it part of the fantasy where it was yeah. almost real, whereas he was just straight down to the business. Yes. You know, like this is why I'm here. This is, and he does that throughout the film. Like it seems like anytime you know, he has a problem that occurs. It's like the mask isn't here. He's like, oh, just, just put it on the bill. You know, like he, he, that's pretty much how he gets away with all the things that he can do is just because he has 
the, the money. money to make the transaction. Same thing when he goes to the mansion and he has to convince the, the cab driver to stay there. He just has hundreds of dollars just ready to ready to go. Yep. None of these things that he does would be available to any normal person. No. 100%. I mean, maybe a little bit at the beginning because he's just kind of dealing with like more like the street life and stuff like that. Right. But it, eventually, it's, it is odd that he's the only one that could get there. But then when he gets there, he's even like, oh, shit, this is this is more than I thought we had as a class of people, you know what I mean? It was like, I thought I was accessible to all these things. There's a whole other fucking tier. Yes, yes. Well, because, you know? I mean, and the thing that uh, about that is because, yes, he's very upper middle class. Right. He's very, like, he's being welcomed into the barest level of, like, the basics. He yeah. gets invited to the Christmas party. Right. Which is where the movie opens, and they right. spend Talks this- to the models, you know. Yeah. yeah, and they say, do you want to see where the rainbow ends? Which, by the time you get to the end of the movie... That line just takes on like a quality where you're like, I, no. don't, I don't think I want to know where I the don't. rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> especially, especially when they, he and he obviously makes the connection where you know you have these these two gorgeous women say do you you know come with us meet see where the rainbow ends and then we have about like I don't know thirty minutes to an hour later where he goes to the costume store and what's on the front but it's called like rainbow or whatever right? yeah rainbow so just to connect those things it always feels like every location he goes to is somehow connected even though it's not shown to you completely yes you know like there's even a part where we were talking about the um the guy that's that's uh, pimping out his daughter there's there's one subtle line where he one of the more powerful men i think it might be the guy he talks to at the end and he says that uh they they know of that man like they know of the the costume designer guy or oh, the, okay. the guy that rents it out. So what I assumed that meant is that they also probably know about the daughter and yeah. all that stuff. And it's just as the film goes, you you realize that even at these top tiers, it's kind of still connected to everything below it too. Yes. Right. And it's just like it, it gets it's horrific. It's a fucking nightmare. Oh like, no! This this movie scares the shit out of me, man, <laughs> on a deep core level. I'm a bit like, I like conspiracy theory shit, you know? Yeah. And it's not like I wholeheartedly believe in it, but like, there's something about this movie that just gets my, gets my brain ticking, you know? It's, it's, it's truly horrifying. Well, it, it is about confronting, you know, something sort of like illusory, like confronting yeah. the fact that this thing that your whole life you've seen it, I mean, it comes back to the title, Eyes Wide Shut. It's right. like, you know, you're not seeing what's really there. Yeah, it's there. But yeah. you're just, you know, it's, uh, and that's, that's the, it, it's something that we've been kind of dealing with, I guess, even on a real life scale right now, which is with like Epstein and all that, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it's, it, it's kind of that thing where you heard the stories years ago, but it's just now it's coming to light, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, and it's, this movie gives me that vibe where it's just, uh, there's, there's these things that are there. We're probably aware of them, but we're just going to look away <laughs> the uh the the financial elite <laughs> yes <laughs> kind of build their own world well in fact they, so. they obviously have control of building the world that you also see yeah um but this is what i mean when i talk when i talk about this idea of like confronting the illusory because i i think one of the most like um overt scenes that get at this is honestly the the opening scene where they're invited to the christmas party mm-hmm. and they view this idea of their marriage as kind of like an just a, a 
a socializing act almost. Yeah. Like neither of them seem like like they they seem to like each other. Oh, but for like, sure. And they they do have like probably the one moment in this film, which by the way, marketed as an erotic thriller, people were obviously going to be disappointed because that's not really what it is. The only yeah. scene that's like uh, maybe erotic is like the scene where Nicole Kidman is uh, stripping in front of the mirror and Tom Cruise joins her. Right. That's basically it. Everything well, after that, the nudity you would is really argue repulsive. Is like horror. Yes, oh, okay. <laughs> I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Like to be fair, the most explicitly because I'm like that mansion secret- scene. Although I wouldn't, you know, it's not the type of eroticism I would go for. It's I would still argue it's erotic, you know. Yes, but I would just say it's more like cold and impersonal by the time yeah, you you hit there. Like sure. like it's definitely not. It, it's not designed well, I mean, to be super sexy. Right. I mean, even that like the, the scene itself. It's it's almost as if, and I never realized it the first time I watched it because I think I was just so fucking shocked at what I was watching. I yeah. Couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Uh, but this time around, I started to just kind of look at details and see like wh- what people were doing around the action. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like all they were doing was just standing there completely still, completely silent, almost as if they're watching like an art exhibit, uh, <laughs> ag- exhibit. you know what yeah. I mean? And uh, with the really creepy yeah, masks it just, on, it completely gets rid of really any of the like masks. intimacy or anything like that. Right. Yeah. That too. Yeah. They're kissing each other on like these really gross masks. Like, I mean yeah. that, that mask that looks like the, like a, a penguin nose, but it's also like a scythe. <laughs> yeah. There's things that even don't make sense like sexually. And it's like, I mean, this is a little explicit, but like you see uh, girls going down on each other and they're doing it with the masks on. <laughs> so I'm sure they're not doing a great job. And, and it's just, I just found that fascinating. It was kind of the, kind of just adding to the whole thing where it's almost uh, like a superficial thing. Like yeah. it's just it's another it's, performance it's, thing. Again. Right. It's yeah. performance. And, and, it that adds to the horror. To be honest, it's like you can't have any inti- intimacy. I really liked know? the guy in the giant. Because I mean, obviously, we're referring to the really famous sequence in this. Yeah. Where Tom Cruise wandering yeah. through the night finds himself at a party for the richest people in town. Um, he he got uh, the the code the word from a from a guy that he used to know in medical school who plays piano uh, blindfolded. blindfolded at this event because it's super secret. And he finds out why it's super secret because all the rich people wear these really creepy masks and just fuck the shit out of each other in these yep. really bizarre ways. And my favorite way that someone does it in this movie is the one guy who is just acting as a table for the other couple. Oh, yeah. He's just he, he's on his hands and knees and he's lifting up the girl so that she's lying on his back as if she was lying on a table yeah. while a guy is pounding her. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like crazy. And I'm like, there's no way the guy being the table is getting anything out of this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's where your brain starts to go, well, then why? <laughs> because the thing is, too, is they're, he's rich. It's so they all he, have something on each other. Right. It's, they it's, can all blackmail each other. Yeah. <laughs> Epstein's. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, it's absolutely just insane because that's the thing. Like you think, you know, there are these, there are these rich, powerful men that are, that are getting like hookers or whatever. And they're having these giant orgies, I guess. And, but then when you start to analyze it like that, you're like, well, why is he there? (laughs) He came to this secret party as this billionaire to, to, to make himself a table for, Two other people to have sex on him. It's just like yeah, no, it's almost scary. You know, that's that's what I mean. I think that that type of like it, it's so bizarre that you can't understand it. So it just adds to the horror element of it. You know, you just kind of get scared. You're like, what does this mean? 
And uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting because Tom Cruise discovers this because he is trying to activate his own base desire because he was confronted with his wife's. And right. he's just like, I don't have that because I'm a normal person. Normal <laughs> yeah. people don't have that. And then he starts activating it in, in himself. He starts going from place to place and he's like actually is weirdly um, attracted. And even though yeah. he's sort of like questioning it, he is all the time. He's like, I probably would have had sex with that hooker. I was sort of fascinated by whatever those two Japanese men were doing with the little child right. and, the, and, and the food. <laughs> um, there's that really creepy part where she whispers in Tom's ear before she leaves and you don't hear what she says and you never get to hear what she says. Yeah. But she looks back and get, and gives this like look to him and Tom just, his reaction is, it is disgusted, but it almost feels Intrigued like it could too, be, though, yeah, yeah. it could be like that disgust is almost coming from himself where he's like, I don't want, to even be remotely intrigued by this. Yeah. And now I am and I got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. You know, like meanwhile he's buying a costume to go to the party right. where he's going to see the crate and he's like okay, right. this and even then what's funny is he's disgusted by it like after the fact. Yeah. But while he's there, he's walking around. He's watching. Yep. He's he he's everyone's being like, "Dude, get the fuck out of here." Yeah. And he's yeah. just like kind of want to see some more. I, I, I kind of want to see, kinda wanna see this. Sorry, I'll take the risk. <laughs> yeah, he gets like three warnings from one of the girls where yeah. she's just like, dude, you got to go. <laughs> They're going to kill you us. You are in danger. Yeah, like they will hurt you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know that you don't belong here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, he just keeps wandering around while this kind of like really bare, like hypnotic like piano score oh is going God. that's a terrifying score yeah it's like three notes yeah but it's just so hard hitting every yeah. single time he, i think it's just like he hits the keys as hard as he can every yeah. time yeah he and gets into like shriek yeah no oh my god the crescendo every time they they imply something to be scared of or whatever that that score really adds it's it's unreal and it's so bare bones like there's almost nothing to it yeah you know um, and I think it's one of like the only real scores throughout the whole thing. Yeah. The, like, there, the, the, couple, the only, the, there, there's, there's the some memorable. needle drops and there's some classical music and that's basically right. it. Yeah. yeah. One, I will say the, the drone like choir or the violins or whatever that the guy's playing during the ritual scene. Yeah. That shit is good. Dark, <laughs> but oh man, that's some, that's some scary stuff. Yeah, and sometimes really good score and, there. And sometimes, you know, they just got to do it while they got naked ladies wearing robes and masks yeah. and yeah, doing doing weird body positions and like <laughs> yeah. walking around like birds and shit. Yeah, it's the craziest shit. <laughs> oh man! So you peel back the Rich mask, people. and that's what's actually there. And he's he's intrigued, and then he's 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 terrified. It's a really conflicted reaction that Tom Cruise has to it because yeah. because what he's he, horrified but cannot stop because because what he's realized is he he was what he realizes over the course of this movie, which is you know hammered home by the first scene of the film, where you can tell that he and his wife are both performing like this perfect marriage at this party mm -hmm. um even though both of them are being you know hit on by different people at the party like nicole kidman has like the hungarian uh oligarch or whoever is yeah, there yeah. who's uh, who's there trying to get her to go that home he's got me. the model going after him yeah that reminded me of just uh going back to that 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 scene between uh kidman and and tom when she asks him uh did you it's like if those? you right and if you weren't married would you do that and he kind of like refuses to answer and what i find interesting is she gets mad at him and the first time i watched this i thought it was just like uh 
she was getting mad at him because you know she thinks that that's what he thinks or whatever it is. And what I realized is I think it's just because he won't admit it. Yeah. Right. Because she does the same thing. She the only reason that she didn't sleep with that older gentleman was because she's married. She yes. even says that at the at the end of the scene. Yeah. So you could think like, oh, she's being a hypocrite, but in reality, all she's doing is yeah, trying no, to get really the truth. Point. From Tom, that's all it is. Right, because because and she, if he did, he wouldn't have had to go on this fucking odyssey <laughs> that he went on. <laughs> yeah, because because she went through the same experience where she said, "No, the 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 societal norm that I've agreed to, which is that I'm married and yeah. I am faithful to my husband." And so when when he just straight up says, "No, I wasn't even attracted to those girls," right, and it's she's like, just you're like, a liar. "Fuck you, I was attracted to the Hungarian guy." Yeah. So I know that you're just denying, you're repressing something, right. you are putting on this performance of this really great doctor. And I love how she also, uh, which I think is one of the main like, uh, like thesis points of the film is when she talks about this idea of, do you get horny with your patients? Cause like, that's mm. just pure Kubrick. He has such a clinical yeah. style. Like if, if he because was in any other profession, he would have been a doctor go over, right? Like it's, that's that thing. You, like it's that, that philosophical question of the mm. right and wrong of our sexuality and stuff like well, that. Well, and right? that's the idea of you're looking at someone's, you know, like you're looking at someone's anatomy, I guess, or you're yeah. looking at someone's yeah. uh, private parts and you're doing so professionally. And she's saying, but you are a person like you like yeah. in a professional, societally accepted way. Obviously, you can say, well, of course not. Yeah. But she's just like there is a base primal thing in there. I, and like, if you I don't have it, then you're least. then you're really the freak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So his whole I, journey is him awakening that part of himself that he has really repressed. It's this and, and and it's implied. It's that we've built all of this stuff around us over top of it, where it's just like we can create these structures. We can create these um, um societal norms and and these communities and all of this we yeah. can create all of these things that have some moral judgment <laughs> yeah. we'll say um and and agree to them but mm. she was just like we are contradicting them all the time and nicole yeah. kidman is just the person who will freely admit that to him because yeah. she's being honest with him yeah. and she wants him to know who she really is and and i love when he can't contradict that anymore like yeah. that scene where he looks at her doing her normal mom domestic rituals like teaching their daughter math mm -hmm. and all he can hear is her talking about her dream where she was being uh yeah uh, even though by she's like doing... 100 people or 100 men and yep. she was just like i had a dream where i was cuckolding you and it was horrible but when he actually she even is like and what's crazy too is that she admits that she hated it yeah and like and that she's crying she's weeping but for in the, the guilt. dream she's laughing Right. Like in her sleep, she's actually laughing. That's true. That's which, a good. That which, which, which really throws him off. Yeah, too. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Um, I was also going to mention the uh, just because we were talking about the, that doctor thing. I love that she flips it on him, too, mm -hmm. where at first he says, like, no, I would never like it's a patient. I don't do that. And yeah. she goes, OK, well, I'm sure the reason that you're thinking that is because you have to be professional. Do you think that the patients never have fantasies themselves? Oh, and he's yeah, never yeah. even thought of that. Yeah. Right? Like he's only thinking about himself, his own thing. Just yeah. st draw, stay the line. Right. Don't, you know, <laughs> don't be, don't be turned on right now. He knows the talking points. That's right. the thing. And, and to and be fair, he's right. Like, I'm flipping that on yeah. you now. It's like, well, what do you think about the, maybe a patient that you, that you touched thought about you. Yeah. And he's just like, that's, no, no, no. <laughs> like you're, you're 
you're trapping me in a corner. Oh, man. Because the great. thing is, is everything he's saying is technically what he's supposed to be saying. Right. Right. Exactly. Like, that's why you watch that fight. And it is sort of like it feels like Nicole Kidman is picking the fight with him. Yep. But everything she's saying is just trying to get him to be honest yes, about exactly. all of the things. Because I'll admit, the first time I watched it, I wasn't quite sure. I'm like, yo, you're like, you, you, you're, you're going just, off. You smoked <laughs> a little too much weed and you just By need the to way, calm down. <laughs> Tom Cruise's delivery of that line is an all timer where he's like, <laughs> this pot is making you aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that is good. <laughs> the way he's got it he lifts his hand up and everything it's so yeah. good he really nails the delivery I love his line. fucking performance in I this mean movie. this is such this is one of those rare Tom Cruise performances and he is one of the few like A grade movie stars who will do something like this where he kind of he might not even know it but he kind of does look like an idiot when he yeah. does takes roles like this but he did it in like Edge of Tomorrow too, which is one where he's kind of plays a coward who dies over and over again yeah and it's 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 played for slapstick yeah it's just the kind of role that like obviously that one I, I felt like he was more aware of though I will say yes like this one I feel like he wasn't quite Kubrick sure. was using him a little a bit a little bit yeah well that's because a lot of like the actual weirdly enough like, it's the, like those two the even text like and Kidman, they were Hollywood royalty right yes. so I think he chose them on purposely in that regard you know? yeah to subvert what people would expect yeah from, from them yeah I mean um, Tom Cruise has probably been to one of those parties <laughs> uh, what, what is the Scientology yeah, yeah, never, yeah. He's, dude he's, he's like the Jesus Christ of Scientology he's definitely <laughs> been to one of those parties <laughs> um but i was i was gonna point out and I, I wasn't sure if you knew this this is part of what i was mentioning at the at, at the top of the show how mm-hmm. um there was this idea of what they had to do and why this movie was so expensive oh um, yeah um yeah. and to me it just it, it co-mingles with this idea of this of this fakeness of this idea of like there is a societal norm where they are a picture perfect marriage but really there are base desires under there that they keep repressing mm-hmm. and society has sort of done the same or at least uh the powerful have masked themselves very very well mm-hmm. And part of that is you kind of feel just uh, a sense of fakeness in this movie. And part of that is because none of this was shot in the United States. This takes place in New York. This is an entirely set New York. Wow. Because one, Kubrick's, uh, he's just afraid of flying. He didn't want to go to the U.S. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But he wanted his movie to take place in New York. Um, So they used Pinewood Studios, one of the biggest movie studios in the U.K., and they built he and and it is it is on record that That's he nuts. he sent people to New York, and he would have them send and call him, send him photos and measurements of everything. Like they would measure city blocks, they would measure where the imperfections were, and then this he would insane. say, "You have to replicate that shit." Yeah. Here. So all those all those all street those city shots. streets all set. Wow. So if you're ever and some of them you can they tell they look huge and too. some of them you can tell because they um, have blocks like you yeah. can see the blocks. <laughs> yep, all set, baby. It's <laughs> fucking crazy. And they even wow. he even took some footage, uh, had people film some second unit footage in New York, and then rear projected it behind it, some of the sets and behind Tom Cruise. So there are stuff where you see where Tom Cruise is walking. And it's just like a rear projection. Oh my god, that's crazy! Yeah, it does add a bit of an effect, though. I think, like, oh, no, it does. It's like it's almost one of those because um, again, things that you know, once you know after yes. the fact, you're like, oh, it just kind of swarms. You know, it was like, it was like that bit I told you in Carrie, where you don't realize it while you're yes. watching that dream sequence, but it's he reversed. filmed it all in reverse. Exactly, yes. and I didn't notice that. I remember that, yeah. and, and it did. It it it's weird that it can make a like a click right there yeah. in your brain like that. Yeah, yeah. so so it, it's totally cool. uncanny, which really does lend. 
itself to this kind of like dreamscape vibe that he's building which again he's not doing it he's not doing it by doing this you know heavily surrealist abstract filmmaking of any kind no he's just somehow he makes you feel that way just through his own techniques like this and creating this kind of fakeness and the same thing goes with again he's making these fake sets but then he's lighting them with real lights and not using the fake set lights on them at all. He's, I mean, they, they even said when they didn't have enough light, they just brought like more of those like uh, like Chinese lantern bulb lights oh, okay, and stuff. Yeah. Like he was like, those were the things they used for lighting wow. when they did them because they really wanted this artificial glow yeah. of, of Christmas because it's really important this takes place at Christmas. Same with yeah. Batman Returns, actually. We didn't talk a whole lot about how it fits into the holiday stuff, but what is Christmas if not just like this generally societally agreed upon norm of this fake bright thing yeah. where we all agree that everything is going to be Damn good <laughs> and, and, and happy. Yeah. Um, and it's also, uh, you know, the spirit of good faith and family and, right. and, and, and charity. And, but meanwhile, as we see by the end of this film, it ends on just them shopping. That's yes. all it is. Right. And, and at a point where they're just completely <laughs> empty, like just, the the only yeah. the only amount of love that they have for each other at this point is the bare minimum and they've just realized that i mean i guess technically he never did it <laughs> but, but but she never did either that's right. the thing and, right and and after you it's see, just but after you that see that there. odyssey you're yeah. like I mean, you may not have had sex, but it sure feels like you did. Something gross happened. <laughs> yeah, like, it still feels like you had gross sex. <laughs> well, one of the, the grossest scenes for me and really hammers home that part is when it, it involves the, the prostitute character, Mandy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she's the girl who's at the Christmas party at the beginning um, who he is on call for Sidney Pollack's character. By the way, it's the director, uh, the famous filmmaker Sidney Pollack plays the guy. Oh, okay. Uh, I forget his character name in the movie, but is he's Alan. It I, might be. Yeah. He's the guy who has, Oh, has the Christmas party. He's the guy who, uh, tells crew. He, was, he has uh, the he, big final scene. Too, yes. Right? He has he, the most expository scene in the film. That where scene he, scares the shit out of me. I think maybe even more than the, the actual sequence. Yeah. It, it feels like it, it. And I mean, once again, a little bit of conspiratorial brain going but, but on. He's, he's, it um, feels like he's, Speaking to the audience more so than Cruz at that point. Well, it's and, so weird. And just the way that he said, he's like, I know what you saw yeah. and I know what you felt. Yeah. But dude, like, it's fine, man. Like the way that he, yeah, he, yeah. he talks to him, like he's a friend, even though he's on another entirely different class plane. Yeah. And, and quite honestly, I think would have Cruz killed if he absolutely needed to do it. Yes. You know, he, de- he definitely has and, that and, vibe. And Sidney Pollack It is still honestly, feels like a threatening scene. Yes. Even, even though Sidney Pollack, yeah. he's kind of plays it warm. Like oh, he kind of, he kind of plays it like feels I'm your like friend, you have a man. Beer with the guy. We're Easy. just, we're just having a good time here. Do you want to play some pool? He even feels like that when you see him with the almost dead hooker that he, which just is, which is the scene with. I was talking about Mandy. Yes. He still feels like a likable guy. It's the weirdest thing. Like, and, and you don't, he's a, clearly a disgusting piece of shit, but he does have a charm yeah. where it's like where he just feels warm and welcoming and it's it, it does add to the 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 gross factor. Well, and, and one of the grossest parts for me is that he observes Mandy, who has OD'd in his like bathroom slash bedroom combination. Yeah, thing that he's got this, there. yeah I'm sure it's a uh, big old rich combo people room. things. Yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> I, I haven't heard of it, but it's fine. Um, and 
Tom Cruise goes in there and he's like, you know, it was very close. You should probably stop trying to do stuff like this. It's not Maybe really... stop doing coke and heroin at the same and, time. And then it's implied heavily that she's the one who notices him at the party and is the one who tells him to leave because she's like, I'm already in this yeah. and you don't have to be in this, so just go. Yeah. Um, she winds up dead from an overdose and he reads about it in the paper and he's obviously terrified. He's like, wow. That's a coincidence. My, that's a coincidence. And also my um, medical school... Um, classmate uh, has also disappeared and was last seen being taken out by giant men beaten up into a car. Yeah. It's like, it's fine. He's in Seattle with yeah. his family. It's cool. Family. I'm like, okay, all right. That's the thing too. And <laughs> what's, what's, what's real creepy is that at first, uh, uh, more so speaking about the, the, the hooker, I can't remember her name, but Mandy. Um, Mandy, she, he talks to her, like he straight up just goes at first before he says, she overdosed whatever he just goes it's a hooker just like don't even like why are you even worried yeah. about it that yeah. kind of she's thing. on a different class and level then man. he starts to kind of give the whole like she died she overdosed she she had sex at the party she overdosed when we dropped her off at home that's it that's it and at that point i'm like i don't fucking believe you at all no at a, I, like Although not the, even a little the, the, the way that you the, dis clearly disrespect her and yeah. have like just just any oh yeah any he thought respect. of her as trash yeah exactly i'm like you you killed her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and, and also the, I love that the, they never tell you though. It, that was what I was going to say. The genius stroke there is that they don't, they don't show you the guy being killed when you, nope. he could very well. And they just don't. So you have all to sit there implied. and go, it's all implied, which is like really, I think even more powerful to leave that ambiguity yeah. in there. But when he has to go to the morgue and identify her body and he identifies her because of her breasts because he's yeah. only ever seen her naked ODing with like her face partially covered. Yeah. And then he saw her naked body with a mask on. And then he sees her naked body on the slab. And all of a sudden the scenes that were previously, you know, maybe he might have been a little horny because she was naked. Now it's really gross. Yeah, just... And and the thing that he says to her about her, who? The chick that OD'd with the great tits? Yeah. That's what Sidney Pollack says about her. Yeah. Yeah. Right after the scene where he just looked at her on a slab and is like horrified. Yeah. Um, so like that to me is one of like just the most like explicitly gross moments where again it's tying in like this base primal desire stuff with um, like a more clinical um, critique of obviously the rich and the powerful, like combining those two things in that way. Yeah. Um, that part I found like one of the, just the most like viscerally compelling parts of it. And, um, but on a less serious note, I love every time Tom Cruise is trying to get his way, he whips out his goddamn medical board license. Like it's a freaking police badge. Oh yeah. Every yeah. time he does it like six times in the movie. And every <laughs> time I cackle because I'm just like, dude, he, he goes up to the guy. Uh, Cause for some reason there's a guy who lives in his costume store. He goes up to the costume store and he puts it up against the glass. He's like, I'm a medical professional. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let me in. And he's just like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's how it works, but that's fine. You're well educated, man. Let's let's do this. I'm a doctor. <laughs> that's true. He does. That's so funny. Every time that stuff just made me laugh. That is funny. Every time, and I mean, it, 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 it's also just Cruz's character. I find he's just kind of he plays this like really wiry dude who's just like a he bumbles around and he's very he's just a confused ball of impulse. Yeah. 
Yeah. Is is and all... confused is really the thing. Like yeah. Although he is obviously not the best guy, it really does feel like he's just completely unaware of himself. Like he doesn't <laughs> know who he is. Yeah. And so it almost feels like he's just trying his best <laughs> to figure it out. Yeah. And unfortunately, he ends up in some horrible places to do so. But uh, yeah. But uh, but yeah. Also, just speaking on that that Pollock scene, um, uh, I love. The um, the ordinary people thing, or yeah. If yeah. I told you their names, I don't think you'd sleep so well. That line's always giving me the creeps, <laughs> just just because it's like you didn't need to you didn't need to throw that in there. That just seems that just seems too too much. That that's too real. That's too real for me. And then the other one, um, which is where I think it further implies that he did, maybe not him, obviously, but he knows about the killings that go on within this scene. Um, was at the end when he grabs Tom Cruise's shoulders and you can just feel the fear that <laughs> Cruise is feeling at that point. Yeah. And then he's just like, life goes on until it doesn't. But you know that, don't you? And then, and then he laughs. Yeah. yeah. And then and you're like, oh my <laughs> God, dude, you killed a guy. <laughs> it's just like that whole scene terrifies the shit out of me. And for what? Like these bizarre rituals where like, it's yep. like, how did anyone get any pleasure? And out then of he it? mentions too, it's like, why do they do the rituals? And he's just like, it's to scare the shit out of you. So you don't say anything. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't mean anything to us. We do this so that you shut your mouth. Because when you see something like this, any human brain would go, I'm not fucking with this crew of people, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I just that that's also scary too is that and those people rule you I almost is the thing want it too. to be demonic you yeah. know what I mean like the fact that <laughs> they're just a little. the <laughs> fact that they're just doing it to basically bribe you and and blackmail you and yep. all that that's just that's I'd I'd rather the devil raise <laughs> from hell you know <laughs> No 100% um, and then the the scene after where we see the mask on the on, bed, on the yeah. thing and he just breaks, breaks. he's done he's like all right, I'll tell you my entire night or, or my entire. Yeah, it all takes place in twenty four hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's like, it, it's just, uh, and I love the line. It's it's very simple, but I'll tell you everything, mm-hmm. just because after everything that you've seen, that's what this whole thing has been leading to, right? It's just him Honesty. to be honest yeah. with his fucking wife. Yeah, and he had to go through all that to get there, but yeah. he got there, <laughs> you know. So that's good for him, I guess. But uh, but yeah, just the breakdown and telling, saying like, I'll tell you everything. Just I'm at my finish line. I don't need to, to journey anymore. You know. Yeah. Oh, it's just devastating to watch. Yeah, because it's it's just watching like this this like this performance of a guy who is just a great husband, a perfect doctor. You know, he's he's everything. Yeah. He's everything. He's the perfect husband. Yeah. And he plays it perfectly. Oh yeah. And then he's confronted with like, I'm playing my part of the upper class doctor. And I'm like, holy shit, all of the people I know who are even more powerful than me, they're also performing. Yep. They're performing this philanthropic Christmas party. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, right. When really what they are is this. And he's like, I'm not quite that. Yeah. So I can admit my you know, shortcomings as well here. And what's, what's interesting, too, is like it really doesn't show well for his character is, is, uh, is the scene where he goes back to the costume spot. Yeah. And then the guy just basically goes, if you ever need to have sex with my daughter, it's all good. That's basically <laughs> what he says. Yeah. And Cruz, uh, he does have a disgusting look on his face, which is good. At least there's a positive trait there. But he doesn't do anything. No, he doesn't, he doesn't like, report say anything. It. Yeah. It's like, dude, like, 
maybe report it. I don't know what connection you have with the costume guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the other ones, I, I don't condone them, but it's like, you know, they're, they're, they're politics, they're, he's a rich friend, whatever. Yeah. The costume dude is like pimping out his daughter, man. Maybe call the cops. <laughs> yeah, but then as but you doesn't. said, also it gets connected into everything else right that's, like like that's everything true. i mean he like pr- at that point yeah he probably has that fear that it's just like this could be he, he wants out you know well, what i mean well, at that point he's still trying to ignore it he's trying to be like yeah. it's not there that weird perversity's not there i'm just going to a party yeah <laughs> no this was after the party oh yeah this was after the party yeah right. so this was at so he sees all the stuff and right. then he's confirmed because like, he goes twice and right. what's interesting is that um the first time it appears that the father is insanely upset at the daughter yeah and he's like, she's demented. Like she doesn't, she's not all there. So it, this thing happens and I'm trying not to make yeah. it happen. But then it's revealed that he's just like, yeah, I do do this. And in fact, uh, if you'd like to, there you go. <laughs> Your turn. <laughs> and I think that is, I mean, he's already at the finish line cruise at this point, I think, but that probably yeah, the, the, just sent him over the edge. <laughs> well, I was going to say like, this is, this is where his reality has already started to look like a bad paint job yeah, on like yeah. this like unhinged, yeah. dark perversity. <laughs> yeah, that, like, like, I miss missionary sex. <laughs> yeah. It's like the intersection of like violence and kink and like power and illusion yeah. and money and, and fantasy, but also he's still... He's disgusted and curious at the same time about it. Yep. Um, yeah. It's just crazy. So, yeah, maybe pivoting towards the reductive rating round, I got to say, I think that this, the, I mean, obviously it's a five. It's, yeah, yeah <laughs> um, me too. And then, I mean, like, to add, and then also, to end your movie, let's fuck. Yeah. Hard cut credits. Yeah. <laughs> oh, baby. What a, what a, what a mic drop. And, 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 uh, and, and for that to be final the final film, yeah. you know, like final scene I'll ever create. Let's fuck credits. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, um, what a madman. He, I, I don't know if they ever planned on cutting the film down more or anything. I heard that there's 40 minutes that no one's seen. Well, because Kubrick, and I want to Kub- see it, but Kubrick did finish a cut of the film, mm-hmm. showed it to Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman and died six days later. Shit. So That's crazy. That was So do you know who had the final is it the editor that had like kind of the final I'm I'm not hundred yeah. percent certain. From what I understand, they tried to keep it as true to the cut that Tom and Nicole saw, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Um I want to know what's in that forty minutes, baby. What did he leave out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just it's it's the Illuminati got to it's him. It's just more extended sequences <laughs> of like slow, mesmerizing trance like camera moves. Yeah. Moving through these like given spaces it's just even more weird odyssey scenes <laughs> yeah 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 exactly that's probably what it is of just paranoid single-minded desire and frustration all around both sexual frustration and also narrative frustration yeah because he's like i want to know some answers here and i do like that he doesn't really give you any even even in the no. big expository scene you can't really trust what Pollack is saying no if anything it just gives more like just just ominous it, mystery and it, it's, it, it, it tries to put back a friendly face on what we just saw, which was yeah. the most inhuman thing you've ever seen. And that, right, <laughs> that so, involved human bodies. It's so <laughs> creepy for him to just be like, "Come on, man, just have a neat whiskey. It's yeah. it's all good." What you just saw, take a it's bottle. Normal. It's performance art. No big deal. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah, it's got it's got to get the five and yeah, me too. I think ultimately just the way that Kubrick captures um, 
this idea of like realizing that the world that you're a part of, the world that you see every day maybe isn't the actual world and maybe it's actually a facade used to like mask, you know, like a more primal self that you've kind of like, you've collectively agreed to put these acceptable norms to like dissuade you from ever doing that. But you can just ignore that when all of a sudden you have money. That money means you don't have to adhere to those things anymore. And so there are now these further hidden structures around you that just have something to discover horrifying outlets for sex and, and violence. Um, like say maybe planes and islands, um, you know, it doesn't have to be mansions and, <laughs> yeah. uh, you, know, you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, we definitely know what you're saying. <laughs> but kill himself. I also do like the end where they are confronted with this. We've in, we're honest with each other. We've admitted Tom Cruise has seen the end of the rainbow. <laughs> he didn't like it. And, and he was like, the end of the rainbow is so much worse than whatever I could admit to you. Yeah, <laughs> to the middle of the rainbow. <laughs> um... So the best that you can... The upper middle class. The best that you can do is just uh, ignore that it's there and (laughs) and go back to the ways that you're supposed to indulge in it, which is in the bedroom, which is what Nicole Kidman says. She says, fuck. ignore the crazy world and get to fucking. Yeah, and what a God (laughs) move, for real, to have the last thing uttered in your last movie (laughs) to be just the word fuck. True king. True King. Yeah, I'm gonna give it a five too. I I don't I don't know how else to to explain what we've already explained because just just what a film. Um, one thing I I, I want to just reiterate uh, that score. I think that bare bones score. Yeah. Really, really helps with 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 the uh, with the tone. Like it's just every time that really dissonant piano note comes up, you know something's look lurking. You know something's watching them. It's 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 perfectly done, um, and it, it's just I, so simple. I feel like it just it always implies that like there's this there's this weird detail or this yeah. there's 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 something yeah. gross and it's violent. Like two notes. Some sort of transgression is about to happen, yeah. and you're watching these scenes and you're like, this is just fucked up. Ooh, here's one. I'll just mention this before we head it off. Oh, I yeah. love the and it's nothing. Not analyzing it too much, but I just the the thought of when he goes back to the mansion. Just to, I think he just like has to have a look, and the car slowly oh, the comes up. An old man just walks out, yes. says not a word, hands him an envelope with his full name on it, yes. and the threat. I what I love in the threat is that it's not just like stop now, we'll kill you. No, it's very it's, wordy. It's very wordy. It's like you, we need you to stop your inquiries. If yes, you I have it right stop, here. It, oh, so it's okay, yeah. it's give up your inquir- inquiries, which are completely useless, and consider these words a second warning. We hope for your own good that this will be sufficient. And I love that it's like, we hope. <laughs> like, we don't want to do this, but we will. Yep. <laughs> and that's just, and, and and the whole thing, just him getting out of this black car, he's in a black Totally suit. anonymous, boring but, yeah, looking this dude. old guy that's just blank face, hands him an envelope. There it is, your threat. And if you don't do it, we're going to do something. And yes. it, there's such a... Again, it's, Ooh, it's, it's so finding creepy. horror and yeah. like surreal qualities out of something that's just so boring. It's just a guy in a car. And there's in a no suit. dialogue. Yeah. They just stare at each other, and it's yeah. just this creepy vibe. Yeah, it's it, great. It, it really is the feeling of that one sequence in The Shining where there's just rich people being rich people fucked up parties. Yeah, like the the dog yeah, blowing like, the old dude. It's that 
for two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's, that, a, that's perfect. That bizarre sense of what the fuck, and also horror, and yeah. also intrigue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just I'm horrified, but I want to know more. Damn it. Yes. Yeah. So and, five. And, and I do like Tom Cruise's uh, line that he gets to, where he says, "No dream is ever just a dream." And she says, we're awake now. Yeah. And you're almost like, do you want to be awake now? Yeah. I feel like I'd want to go back to not knowing. Let's go back to the party. And before he met the almost dying prostitute. Yes. <laughs> Where he's just flirting, you know, just flirting with two models. That that was fun. Exactly. <laughs> well, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Merry Christmas. I feel like I'm in the spirit. And happy Hanukkah to yes, anyone happy who's Hanukkah. celebrating. Happy holidays there's not a all huge, around. There's not a huge uh, canon of Hanukkah movies, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we should try to see if they're out there. There's well, got to be two. Well, I, I, I've heard there's one called The Hebrew Hammer. Oh, yeah. hell yeah. Sounds and like... And a sequel. And a sequel. I'm, I, am, I am there. So it sounds like some good old exploitation. And I can add, and I can recommend to anyone who it's available to, Uncut Gems in the U.S., I think, is opening in theaters around the time yeah. that you guys were going to be listening to this. That absolutely is going into the Hanukkah canon, so go check that one out. Loved that one. Wait. I can't wait to show it to Jamie. Got it programmed at the theater, so we're real excited. I love seeing Adam Sandler do good. <laughs> <laughs> but Merry Christmas. That was our uh, very deranged, existential, <laughs> horny-ass double feature of uh, just absolutely unhinged, insane, murderous, sexual holiday films. Yes. I don't know that there's any more that really fit into that category, so I'm no, glad we got this double feature out of the yeah. way. It's I was amazed at how much they connected. Yeah, and and weird about this idea of also putting on performances yeah. and this idea of 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 old money in control of things uh behind the surface, Ling- the sinister forces lingering just beneath kind of deal. Like yeah. both of them really did deal with that uh just in completely different ways. Yeah. Um so that was your Christmas double feature. Uh, I think in one week's time, we are going to be back with the very last episode of 2019, a, uh, a patron-exclusive number episode 100. for our bonus listeners. And it is episode number 100. Crazy. Um, somehow, we got this far. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> 100 episodes. And uh, patrons already know this, but for anyone who's not a patron yet, um, we let the patrons vote on episode 100. Since yeah. it was going to be the last of the year and it was going to be an episode exclusively for them, we decided we'd let them vote. So uh, we we had them come up with double features and then upvote the double features. And then from there, I put those in a poll and everyone voted. And the number one selected double feature is what we're going to cap the year out on. And weirdly enough, it actually kind of works with uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, oh yeah about peeling back the overlords who control your world oh yeah for sure uh we are going to be talking about john carpenter's 1988 film they live yes a little bit more on the comic spectrum yeah uh, for sure than eyes wide shut but similar subject matter um and then we are also going to be talking about repo man from 1984 yeah, it's like this like punk rock it's like is it indie like, is it kind of like, a, yeah, grungy? A yeah, little bit, for yeah. Sure. yeah, both of them are uh, 80s Reagan era, almost surreal movies about the underclass. Yeah. So that's what we're going to be talking about for episode 100. Again, patreon.com slash podcast. If you want that episode, that's next week. And then two weeks from now, the next free episode for all you guys. It's the first episode of, of the new year. 
Yeah. So as we like to do, or uh, I mean, we're I guess we're making it a trend officially by doing it for a second time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we did it last year, though. We did the the best movies, best genre movies specifically yeah. of the year. So last year, obviously, we did the best genre movies of 2018. This year, we're going to do the best genre movies of 2019. Now, for bonus listeners, you guys probably heard some of our bonus transmissions throughout the year. Some of those films are probably going to be on the list. Oh, for sure. But some of them definitely will not be. <laughs> <laughs> Um, some of them will have been watching recently. Some of them we just never got around to talking about maybe on the bonus transmissions. Yeah. But Jamie and I are going to count down each our top 10 uh, genre films that came out in 2019. Yep. Genre being a little bit loose here like it is on this show. Sometimes we're going to talk about action movies, horror movies, sci-fi movies. Some uh, I'm going to count a certain mobster movie on mine for sure. I, so. think, it <laughs> I think it counts. So... That is what we're going to be doing in two weeks' time. It's going to be a monster episode, as it was last year, probably, where Jamie and I are going to count down our full top tens and a bunch of honorable mentions. So if yeah. there's any, again, if you Get guys those want... those lists ready. We got some movies to show. Yeah, so if you want any, looking for any suggestions, that will be the episode to listen to. And then after that, we are going to be back into the new year, resuming regular scheduled episodes. Yes. So that being said, thanks, as always, for listening, and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy. <laughs>